Well, hello again, everybody. I know I just did uh, a story the other day, um, but I actually started watching this documentary um, about, um, everybody maybe knows about the famous uh, Playboy Playmate, Dorothy Stratton. Um, she was uh, basically named as Playmate of the Year um, in 1980, um, and she was murdered. Um, but her story, very, her story just struck me as just very sad and just, it, it almost mirrored what I had gone through, um, with, uh, being, you know, abused by somebody that you thought that cared for you. Um, so I'm just going to kind of go into to her story because you know what, this needs to get out because it was, a this is something that should never happen. It should never happen to any woman, but in general, let's just start from the beginning. So, uh, Dorothy Stratton, she was born on February 28th, 1960, and she was born in Grace Maternity Hospital in Vancouver, Canada. So, she had, uh, you know, went to school, was working part-time at the local Dairy Queen, where she eventually met the 26-year-old Vancouver club promoter slash pimp, Paul Schneider. He was kind of that low-life uh, person that your parents always warned you about. Um, he was just kind of a scumbag from what everybody had uh, described him as. Um, they had begun, uh, dating and Snyder was the one that encouraged her to take, uh, go to a photographer and take these photos and the nude photos, which were eventually sent to Playboy magazine in the summer of 1978. Um, she was at the time 19. Um, that was the legal age, uh, in British Columbia. So her, she had to persuade, she wasn't actually legal, sorry. She wasn't actually legal because in the state of British Columbia, she had to persuade her mother to sign the model release form for her to send those pictures off, uh, to Playboy. So in August of 1978, she had actually moved to Los Angeles, where she was uh, chosen as the finalist for the 25th anniversary uh, Great Playmate Hunt. Uh, Snyder Paul had joined her in October and June the following year, and he eventually convinced her to marry her. Um, but from what everybody said, he just never belonged. He was very uncomfortable. Everybody just got a very bad vibe. And the fact that he would never let her out of her sight... I mean, basically spoke spoke volumes, um, and everybody had always said to her, like, "Why are you with him? Why do you stay with him when he treats you, you know, like dirt? He treats you like this." Um, me being, I mean, I was in a very abusive relationship for six years. You don't think that you're worthy of anything else. You think that you honestly kind of deserve this treatment, and I think it's because she was so young. Um, and because she felt that she kind of owed him because he's the one that got her uh, in, in this whole industry, you know, exposed her. She, he was the one that found her uh, according to, you know, his ideas. Um, and, but, I mean, and, that, and that's the, the, the history of abuse. When you're with somebody, like, 
Paul Schneider, um, you you kind of see the signs as a person that was in that situation. I saw that this person was a piece of shit. He was treating me badly. But because they instill so much fear and beat you down, not only emotionally, but psychologically, you will begin to make kind of excuses and kind of excuse the behavior like, oh, well, they didn't really mean this. They didn't really mean that. Um, and, you know, he has always told me this. It's, it's very sad. And this is kind of a warning to any girl right now that is in that relationship. Do not ever, ever believe that if somebody is treating you like shit, beating you up, calling you names, doing all this crap, that you think you deserve it because there is no nothing that you could have done to make somebody make you feel like you're worthless. And he started to cut her off from not only her family, but friends. So, um, eventually, um, so within that, that short time frame, she had become Playboy's Miss August 1979. And she began working as a bunny at the Playboy Club in Los Angeles. So Hugh Hefner actually adored her, um, had hopes that uh, Stratton could actually have a meaningful cross crossover like success as an actress. Um, she had appeared in a few TV series such as uh, Buck Rogers and Fantasy Island. She also had, you know, very small roles in Skate Town USA and Americathon. Um, Hefner reportedly encouraged uh, Stratton to sever ties with with uh, Paul because he had saw the destructive behavior. Now, I know there is this new series on A&E that exposes what has been going on in the Playboy Mansion and Hugh Hefner. I'm not going to go into that because I have not watched the series and I don't know enough about that. I'm just going on what I have researched. Um so, uh, Dorothy had arrived at the Playboy Mansion for the 25th anniversary Playmate Hunt. She was always very, she was the ultimate, like, girl next door. Very shy, very naive, because she was very naive. She had, Paul was actually her first boyfriend. So, she was very uncomfortable with, you know, the nudity and the sex and the debauchery that had gone on in the Playboy Mansion. Um, but there, there were a few friends that actually protected her, um, from some of those people. Um, so on October, or I'm sorry, not October, uh, March 22nd, 1980, uh, Stratton, uh, Dorothy had flew to New York to begin work on, uh, a project called They All Laughed, uh, which was a romantic comedy, uh, being directed by Paul Bogdanovich. Um, everybody knows him as... Basically, he he did um, a lot of, like, famous movies back in the day. Um, But in this first role that she had, she was playing the unhappily married love interest of John Ritter, God bless his soul, um, who he had also wrote the screenplay and said in an interview he'd based the backstory off of Dorothy and what he had learned about her marriage to Snyder. Um, because if you watch this movie, which nobody really watched because it was kind of a, like straight to before we had DVD or video or it was like straight to like VHS, VHS pretty much. Um, it was very a toxic type of relationship. 
Um, it was just, I mean, it's very sad to, to see what had happened because you see her being a very strong and independent woman, but still, still being a little girl. So she did eventually, she, she did had at the time she was married to Paul. Um, but during these first, uh, you know, year and a half, two years of being a Playboy playmate, um, she, she ended up basically falling in love with Paul Bukhanasevich and um, she was going to divorce Paul Schneider. Now imagine because he's looking at her as the cash cow and now that she's leaving him, um, that must have been just horrendous for Paul because now he knows that he does not have control over her, which which is super sad. Like this should never happen. So, on the night of July uh, 31st, 1980, uh, Paul Schneider was now aware and, and knew fully that his wife was, you know, not coming back. And he was just kind of pushed to the side. Um, so, he had basically grew impatient at one point and had drove up to her um, house into the hills and was overlooking the city. And he later admitted that he was thinking about suicide. Um, approximately about Friday, August 8th, uh, Stratton and Snyder saw each other for the first time in about three months after already persuaded Stratton, Dorothy, to pose for Playboy and the Miriam, Paul was supremely confident before the meeting that he could convince his wife to take him back. Um, when she would not do this, um, he became enraged. Later that afternoon, and this was a week before the murder, um, he had returned a gun that he had borrowed from a friend. But over the next five days, he would become obsessed with obviously getting another. So on August 9th, at the day after meeting with his estranged wife, um, you know, they were telling him, no, he, he could not get a firearm because of his Canadian, you know, citizenship um so eventually he did um eventually get one and on august 13th 1980 um he had used a 12 gauge pump action shotgun it was from a private seller that he found in the local classifieds um basically he had lured her there saying you know he wanted to to do this amicably um, that obviously wasn't the case. I mean, think about it. Like, this guy has been obsessed and just, you know, demeaning her and just, it's, it's sad. Um, so eventually he had, he had conned his way back into meeting with her. And, uh, they had spent, basically they had met up just to kind of discuss, you know, what was going on with the divorce negotiations, uh, what he was going to get, what he not was, what he wasn't going to get. So, uh, Paul actually had two roommates. They had left in the morning. So Paul and Dorothy were actually in the house by themselves. Um, by eight o'clock though, the roommates had returned and they had saw Dorothy's car was still parked out in the front. Um, and noted, they, they had noticed that, you know, Paul's bedroom door was closed um, they kind of assumed that maybe they had reconciled, wanted their privacy, 
So the roommates that he had, they kind of spent that evening watching uh, TV, not kind of really knowing what was happening. So uh, the roommates had entered the bedroom as shortly after about 11 because they had just noticed it was, this was odd behavior. Um, and that's when they discovered the bodies of Paul and Dorothy. Um, each had been killed by a single blast from Paul's shotgun. Both bodies were nude. According to the police timeline, Snyder had shot Stratton that afternoon within an hour of her arrival and then committed suicide about one, a one hour after the murder. Um, and that is horrendous because, I mean, what he did to her, though, um, because there, there was, uh, after he had killed her, um, from what my research had discovered, that he actually violated her after he had killed her. Now, what kind of sick person is that? Like, really? Really? Not only do you have to kill this beautiful, successful, you know, woman, but then you have to violate her after her death? That is what a true narcissist is. I have dated a narcissist. It is infuriating because no matter what you do, you're never going to be right. It's never going to be good enough because whatever they think, it is right in their head and nobody is ever going to convince them of any wrongdoing. And watching this documentary and watching the story, it made me feel um, because I was there. I was there for six years and it's horrible to be in a situation like that where no matter what you do, no matter how much you do, do something to try to make them happy and it makes them happy for a second but at the same time it is not good enough nobody should ever ever be made to feel like that and watching the story just made me just cringe and I wish I wish I would have listened to the people that told me and tried to help me but when you're in that situation you you honestly feel helpless and you, you don't know what to do and you don't know how to get out of it, even though you want to and you know what it is is wrong, but you just can't because he has made you, that person has made you just so fearful of what they can potentially do. But I knew what he was capable of. Um, like I said, to this day, I'm still, I'm still amazed that I didn't, I didn't end up in, in that relationship being killed um, or worse. I mean, I guess there's nothing worse than being killed, but uh, just a warning to all you ladies, be careful and, and know your worth and know your respect and listen to people when they try to help you.